Looking to stand out from the pack at your first job? When you earn a master's in management from Georgetown, you'll gain the skills employers value most, elevating your career prospects for years to come. Get started at choosegeorgetown.com slash MIM. Hop in. We're back with another edition of the Smart Driving Cars podcast. I'm Fred Fishkin, along with the Faculty Chair of Autonomous Vehicle Engineering at Princeton University, Alan Kornhauser. Hi, Alan. Hi, Fred. And we're happy to welcome back Michael Senna, an internationally recognized expert in vehicle connectivity, location-based services, and navigation. He's got it all. He's based in Sweden and publishes the Dispatcher newsletter. Thanks for joining us, Michael. Thank you, Fred, for having me back. Well, we're going to jump right in with you in your latest edition you're zeroing in on the way the new administration in Washington, Congress, and the National Highway Traffic Safety Administration are aiming to steer the development of automated driving systems. Give us your take on this in a nutshell, or after having read your, your dispatch, uh, maybe we should say jelly bean jar. <laughs> well, that was, a, that was a little bit of a, a low blow, but I thought it was low-hanging fruit because of the way the uh, this last year has has gone. Uh, it was about a year ago that the um, the then uh, Department of Transportation head and had a NHTSA put together a what I thought was a a very good outline for how the uh, industry should approach the old uh, issue of, of automated vehicles, self-driving vehicles, autonomous vehicles. Um, we had a change of administration uh, a year later. The, uh, the new secretary, Secretary Chow, provided us with uh, an update, which they call Automated Driving Systems, A Vision for Safety 2.0. What I note is, full disclosure, I thought version one was totally in line with what was needed, and I said so in my issue last year. Um, what this update is, is a move from real guidelines uh, to guidance. Uh, everything is voluntary. There's, there, are, there are no requirements in here. The only requirements are, are for the states to abide by what NHTSA sees as its responsibilities uh, and that the states should not um, move into the territory that NHTSA has, has uh, set out for itself. But otherwise, everything is... is it's voluntary. And the reason I, I mentioned the, the, the idea of, of the jelly beans, they had a, a number of meetings, and one of them I sat through about an hour's worth of, of um, discussion, really just presentation by GM, Ford, Waymo, and a number of other companies. I think Volvo was in the meeting that I, I uh, attended or, or listened to. And basically they said, we don't like this, we like that. And... The, we like this, or the jelly beans that they, they ate and the jelly beans that they didn't like, they left back in the jar. And the uh, Senate and House representatives, in putting together their uh, proposals for legislation, looked at the, the beans that were left in the jar and said, we'll take, a, we'll take all of those out and uh, we'll, we'll put in what we think the industry wants. And I just feel that that's... Not quite what I think. I think the industry needs. Uh, it needs much more, not more than just guidance. It needs to be. Um, it needs to be told what 
what it should do and what it shouldn't do. I mean, I, I, I think it's, it's just there, there are too many possibilities for uh, problems with safety, with security, to simply leave it up to the, uh, to the industry and uh, the, way, the way we do it now. So that's my opinion. Alan, the latest Smart Driving Cars newsletter talks a, a bit about a shift in the Department of Transportation's approach to the challenges and this technology. You want to talk about that a little bit and maybe follow on to what Michael was saying? Well, I, I, I really agree with Michael and what he says. Uh, my only um, other take on it is is that, unfortunately, the new administration is, uh, I think, it's about the whole technology itself, and they don't know what to regulate. And so in some sense, uh, at this particular junction, to leave it uh, as um, as voluntary uh, may not be as bad as, as what Otherwise, they might do, which is uh, which is put a whole kibosh on the darn thing. Which, if you look at the legislation that's progressing through Congress, it basically provides somewhat of an open road to do whatever one wants to do with respect to cars, but basically says uh, don't touch trucks. And in some sense, uh, as I've argued in in smart driving cars on a number of occasions. Um, I think that uh, truck drivers need an enormous amount of help uh, from uh, automated. <coughs> and it's a real shame that, that, that those that are professionally trying to uh, feed their families uh, through uh, the driving function can't get some supportive help to make uh to make their jobs a, a little bit uh, easier and, and a little bit more palatable and um, and better feed their families and and of course remain safe and and uh, and alive so i think it's it's really um, um, uh, quite unfortunate um, and and uh, of course the thought is that everybody thinks that the, all these vehicles are going to appear out there without anybody in them in the public roads. And I reminding everybody that we've we haven't even gone 100 miles yet in vehicles on public roads, uh, driverless, without anybody uh, behind the wheel um, in an unprepared environment. And um, Waymo, as far as I know, is the only one that did one trip uh, with uh, in Austin, Texas, in 2015, didn't release it for a full year, uh, and then finally made it public. But otherwise, everything been done in test tracks or in in um, environments in which uh, there were police escorts or well prepared and and well orchestrated. And this isn't this isn't the the normal business of driving. The normal business of driving is out there in the real world, <coughs> real drivers uh, on a daily basis. And so far, we have yet to, as I say, even gone beyond 100 vehicle miles uh, in doing that anywhere in the world. Essentially, what what you two might be saying is is that. Uh... While the the government is being a, a bit ambiguous, um, maybe they don't know yet exactly what they want to regulate or how they want to regulate. Well, I, I think it's clear that that 
this administration with the people who are working now working at NHTSA don't want to take that step. And I, I think what what I heard in the in the um, in the hearings was that uh, if if you start legislating, if you start to tell us what to do, you may not tell us to do the right things, and you may not tell us to do the wrong, th or you may tell us to do the wrong thing. So you know, leave it up to us. Trust us, and and uh, we'll get this right. I mean, I, I think that's that pretty much sums up the way that that NHTSA has approached the whole issue of, of safety, and and uh, we've done a pretty good job. I mean, I, there's, there's no criticism here, um, and I think this is really a very very difficult issue. So it's it's not that I'm I'm saying that that um, you know that, that they're not doing their job properly, but I think. They, they did a 180-degree turn. They, they, they went from having what I thought were a good set of regulations or guidance, but in, in the sense, you know, we are going to test, we are going to make sure that, that these things work. Uh, they, but they weren't identifying exactly what should and how, how things should work. They just said that we're going to test these things. And this new version just says you know, we're not going to test, we're not going to do the kinds of things that we said we were going to do before because you told us that that, that would be restrictive. So that that's and and as I said at the end of my article, I think this is there, there's a very good comparison to what what went on with the whole issue of of uh, commercial drones or or um, uh, unmanned aerial unmanned aerial vehicles, where the FAA took a very restrictive policy and and uh, in a sense they closed closed down the possibilities for the industry to do the kind of testing that that it felt it needed to do. And as a result of that, the China, with uh, the, the company uh, uh, DJI, essentially owns the market right now. And I, and I, I'm pretty sure that someone said, "We don't want to do the same thing." I mean, the, the the United States needs wants and needs a strong domestic capability in the technologies that go into piloting land vehicles without drivers, and and this is. I'm referring specifically to the to the military. This is why why DARPA has started the whole thing. Alan has reminded us of that a number of times. I mean, this was DARPA that's, that put this that this vehicle on the road. Um, they need to have these unmanned, unpersoned vehicles in order to be able to do the kinds of things that that they need to do because they don't have enough military feet on the ground. Um, and they can't carry out the missions, and so this is this is the one the one absolute necessity for them. It's not a necessity for for folks. Uh, normal folks don't need to have robots driving their cars. But as Alan has said many times, we need to have cars that are much more safe than they are today. Uh, we're we're much safer than we were in 1965 when when uh, Ralph Nader wrote his book. Uh, but there's still an awfully long 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 way to go. Well, I, I agree completely, and I, but I'd even say that the Washington has done a not a 180 degree turn, but a 540 turn. I mean, they've gone around and then around another half a time. I mean, if you if you go back, um, you know, a couple years ago, the only talk out of Washington was on connected vehicles, and everybody thought that we all had to talk to each other. And that some central authority would then tell us what to do, and that's how we were going to achieve safety. So, the, at least the, the, what is what I find uh, uh, again for the positives. At least there is a discussion 
that automa automation is really the way to, to go about um, doing the, the, the safety piece. And, uh, and then, sure, we'll, we'll put on communications once there's somebody to communicate with. Uh, but at least uh, when you do the the uh, automation with one per, one vehicle, and it basically uh, keeps the driver uh, from um, from misbehaving, whether intentionally or or unintentionally, uh, then at least that vehicle won't be as uh, much less likely to be the, the cause uh, of a, of a crash. And so at least we can get started one vehicle at a time. And, and progress down the road, which uh, is uh, I just came back from the uh, from the um, Intelligent Transportation uh, Systems World Congress in Montreal, and at least uh, part of the discussion at that conference did deal with with automated vehicles. Uh, but there's of course still a lot of discussion about no, we need to, we need to have some central entity controlling and uh, telling everybody what to do. And I guess that's fine, but um, it's certainly not my politics. And um, and the, the second piece on the automated vehicle is, as I've, you know, gone, as I say, gone blue in the face on, there's just a complete um, misunderstanding and confusion of what one means. And when people talk about, uh, you know, they want safety, then they say, oh, we've got to take the driver out of the car to achieve the safety, or uh, we don't get it. And and I, I just think that's just totally off base. Uh, and what we should be doing is really focusing on the safety piece first and get that thing to work while we're all driving so that, again, when we misbehave, or for good or bad reasons, it doesn't let us misbehave. So as I like to point out, when I make my presentations, I show a picture of my, uh, an image of my speedometer in my car, and it says 160 miles an hour. Now, you know, maybe if I'm in Germany, that's okay. But uh, if, I'm, uh, if I'm in New Jersey, I mean, I've never even been close to that. So why should I even think that I can do that? And in some sense, why isn't there a system that keeps me from misbehaving with respect to speed and keeps, keeps me from misbehaving with respect to staying in my lane and going in the right direction and on a one-way road? I mean, those, I think, simple things would, would do an awful lot to basically show the benefit of, of automation and then as we really improve this and get it better and so on and so forth, we can talk about the other things. And that that'll what would help to eliminate uh, much of the public confusion. If if experts here are confused and the, and the government's confused, uh, what do we think the public is thinking? And the technologists are confused. I mean, and then, of course, they're confused because they sit there and they, they read the SAE requirements and so on and so forth. But you know, not everybody reads every word of that. Uh, there's just total confusion out there. Michael, your newsletter also says it's time to talk about Japan's SoftBank and its vision fund mm -hmm. and the role that it might be trying to play here. Well, they've, uh, they've put together an impressive amount of money, $100 billion. Um, almost well, 45% of it is coming from the, uh, the Saudi Arabia 
funds, but uh, Apple is in there, Qualcomm is in there, Foxconn, uh, Sharp, which is owned by, by Foxconn. And uh, they've made some major investments. They, uh, they're in NVIDIA, which is a, a major player, along with GM. They're, they've invested $160 million in, in Nauto. Um, they're putting money into Uber, uh, quite a bit of money, but they're also putting money into to Uber's major international uh, competitors, D.D. Chung uh, primarily in, in China and Grab, Ola. Um, and they have already, over the years since they were, since the company was founded um, back in 19, 1981, they have uh, acquired uh, Sprint, they have Arm, um, Boston Dynamics, and uh, Yahoo Japan. So they're, they're, they've got a lot of money, and they're placing that money, and they're placing, I wouldn't say they're placing their bets. I think it's, that's, uh, it's a little bit glib to say that. I think they're, they're putting this money into areas where they feel they can make a difference by by being part of the companies and man helping to manage the companies, but also providing them with the, with the kind of investments that they need to succeed. Is there reason to be concerned? Uh, well, well, the reason that I say it's time to, to talk about SoftBank is that, that we there all of this is, seems to be happening in the background. Uh, the only account that we can see where they've, they've worked together with the, with the vehicle industry is in this joint investment with, uh, with GM, um, but they've got an awful lot of money to place along with other companies. And, and this investment in NVIDIA, it's $4 billion. $4 billion. And in previous version, of previous issues of the, of the dispatcher, I've, I've highlighted NVIDIA, and I've also shown how NVIDIA is working with, with a number of different spheres in the, in the industry right now. It's a, it's a, a key, obviously it's a key player. And SoftBank has, has uh, identified that. So, now, I think that, that this is a company that is going to be a major player in the, uh, in the future of our automotive industry in one way or another. And on that note, let's, let's talk about some companies, and, and NVIDIA is at the top of the list here, the CEO of, of NVIDIA, saying that he sees fully autonomous cars within four years. What, what's your reaction to that, gentlemen? Well, you know, uh, four years ago, uh, Google said that they were going to have, what, and if we take fully autonomous to be driverless, meaning driving around on streets, uh, unprepared, uh, and that are just normal operation with vehicles without a driver. Google said they were going to do that four years ago. So as I like to point out, uh, we still have two months to go in this, in this year. But uh, they've gone so far less than 100 miles. Maybe they'll do an announcement or something like that and really start something in the last two months. But uh, I'm not holding my breath. Um, and uh, whether or not somebody else can do it in, uh, in four years from now, again, the, the driverless piece in, uh, let's say, down Nassau Street or the equivalent of Nassau Street on a typical day, uh, is still an extremely challenging thing to do. Uh, so um, if that's what they're talking about, um, you know, I, I, I put it uh, 
Sounds like almost uh, free energy from nuclear fusion. It's been 30 years away. <laughs> in the 60s and the 70s and the 80s and the 90s and the aughts. And it's still 30 years away. So I don't know. There are many, many good reasons to get there at, at some point. Uh, to provide mobility for all, to reduce energy, to do if we can, that we have, we'll have to do ride sharing to achieve that. And, and ride sharing could be achieved and it could be very inexpensive. But there are some non-trivial technical hurdles, like being really good at this that have yet to, to be achieved. Well, Waymo, that Google spinoff, uh, actually had some journalists in for for a visit a couple days ago and they they i guess they are moving forward and they're they're opening up a little bit well at least waymo at least has been consistent in what they their objective is their objective is to put a driverless vehicle on the road uh in an unprepared uh, environment and at least in some places and by driverless, uh, they don't call it driverless. They want to call it fully self-driving. Okay, let's call it fully self-driving. But uh, why not use a, a simpler name that's driverless, which you don't have to have the uh, prefix to confuse people, or if it's not being used, people think it, whatever. So, yes, they are. they seem to be committed to that. And for the reason of the, the real uh, basic Achilles heel of self-driving is that uh, while you might then uh, let your car drive itself for a little bit, you're expected to be stay awake and be ready to take over at a moment's notice or whatever and save the day in case something bad's supposed to happen. Uh, well, it's nice to have us all in there as the stopgap in case something bad happens, but uh, uh, we just may not be prepared to do that or or trained or whatever. And so uh, there's always been that sort of Achilles heel to the self-driving concept. Uh, so they've decided, and, and I think for good reason, to say we're just going to skip over this. We're going to make this so good so that it is all the time better than what we could be as individuals. And therefore, we don't want your help. It's like going to, um, you know, when you get your car fixed, if you just put it in there, they're going to charge you, I don't know, uh, 100 bucks an hour to fix it. Uh, if you watch, they're going to charge you 150 bucks an hour. And if you help, they're going to charge you 250 bucks an hour because you're no help. This is the same kind of, uh, of situation. GM's CEO, uh, Mary Burra, touted the company's third generation of automated vehicle technology in her earnings conference call. Um, Alan, you, you call that maybe a bit con a bit confusing, but I suppose companies in their conference calls with earnings today, investors are expecting them to be saying something about automated vehicle technology. Otherwise, it seems like they're falling behind. Yeah, they, they are because everybody has the vision of this driverless future, maybe, I don't know, out there providing all this benefit and, and so on. And, and it's, it's sort of uh, every, and everybody's uh, sort of uh, wish list 
that, it, that in fact, you know, uh, if they really do driverless, then they re- they go against their hundred year old business model. Because of course, if the world becomes a driverless world, we won't own vehicles. We'll use them as mobility as a service. That means their whole dealer network is now uh, what selling to two or three different uh, fleet man uh, fleet companies. Uh, they're no longer selling to to commuters. So uh, things are just very different in that situation. GM, particularly GM and Ford, with the valuations they have right now, the stock prices. They, they really do need, do need to, to talk up their their stock uh, in a way that, that will keep them in business. And there's a recent article in, in The Economist which identified some of the companies that uh, are really in danger of disappearing. Uh, and the automobile company, the U.S. automobile companies were, were very high on the list because their valuations are, are just so low. The stock prices don't encourage anyone to do things that you, that you need to do. Uh, on the other hand, you have companies like Uber and and, uh, and Tesla who are who are losing money, like you know, it's 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 printed in the basement. Um, it's taken up every morning for breakfast, and then they eat it, and then they print more in the basement the next day. I mean, people if people are investing in these companies, and the hope is that at some point, uh, you know, the investments will, will be worth something. And I go back to SoftBank. I mean, they, I don't believe they're investing in, in Uber because Uber will someday develop a, a, a driverless vehicle. I don't think they're investing in, in Tesla because they feel that Tesla is going to develop a driverless vehicle. But the hype around that doesn't hurt and these people who are now operating and running companies like Ford and and, uh, and GM, I mean, Ford is being run by furniture, former furniture um, executive, a company, a very small company. I have no idea why Bill Ford moved Mark Fields out, who had 25 or 30 years of, of really good experience, and brought in someone who has absolutely no idea of what, what the automobile industry is all, is all about. Mary Barra is, is a terrific second-tier manager, but to run a company like like GM, you need to have somebody who's who's got presence, you know, who can really command an audience like like Elon Musk does. I mean, he's a he is a terrific snake oil snake oil salesman. Um, but he's managed to deliver enough to have a valuation right for the company to have a valuation right now that's better than Ford's. So these these you know, GM and Ford really do need to talk their stock up, otherwise they're going to disappear. No one can accuse uh, Elon Musk of being boring, unless you're talking right. about his other company, <laughs> the boring company. And <laughs> Alan, Alan, they're they're making some progress. Well, you know, again, it. Uh, if you listen to Elon, they're making some progress, and maybe and, and maybe they are. I mean, you know, they they just got the, the, not recently, uh, I guess, permission to uh, bore a tunnel under the George Washington Parkway to go between Baltimore and Washington. And I guess you know the boring company, of course, says that it's easy to bore a tunnel in in, in soft ground 
and everybody knows, I mean, uh, you, you have moles and so on and animals digging burrows in soft ground, no problem. And I don't, I don't know what the geology is underneath the, the GW Parkway. Maybe it's all soft ground. Uh, or I don't know where the water table is and all that sort of stuff and where Mother Nature is going to come in and say, hey, wait a minute. But, um, uh, but um, uh, sure, go ahead. I, I mean, maybe they can help us dig a tunnel between New Jersey and, and, and uh, Penn Station so that we can get more trains into New York. Uh, what do we have, like $14 billion available to do that. So um, uh, come on, Elon, let's uh, come on up here in New, in New Jersey. I, I don't know. Uh, Michael? Yeah, I, it's, it's, so, it's tiresome. I mean, there are so many good engineers out there who know who know about all of these things. You know, Italy is, a, is one of the best places for engineers who, who are really capable of doing these kinds of things. But, you know, it's, the guy's an expert in everything, and, and everyone believes that he's an expert in everything. And now, I guess, he believes himself that he's an expert in everything. It's, it's, it's just, unfortunately, I think there's, there's too much around him that people are paying too much attention he should focus right now. He should focus on making sure that the the Model Three is producing. Because if he doesn't, that company is going to is going to fold. He's got he's bleeding money, and they they just don't have enough cars out there to be meaningful. So at some point in time, this is all going to either come down crashing on top of his head, or he's going to come out smelling like a rose because he's actually delivered what he said he would deliver, which was. All those Model Threes that people paid thousand thousand dollars in in, uh, in a deposit. So I I think all this other stuff around is the you know the the hyper tunnel and everything else is just really is just noise. And also it's it's of course it's 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 done in order to increase the valuation of these companies. And finally, a company another company we want to mention is Sony, which has a new autonomous car camera designed to see road signs more than 500 feet away. Is this any kind of breakthrough? Well, uh, I don't know. I, I guess it, um, you know, it, they increase the resolution. Great if we, you know, to go uh, analyze those pixels. But if you don't know kind of where that road sign is and you have to take that kind of resolution throughout the, the whole driving uh, scene in front of you, uh, even the NVIDIA hardware is going to uh, begin to grind to a halt. So, um, um, maybe. So, Sony has been out there in terms of uh, innovation with, it, with its camera technology in all kinds of ways. And uh, we, we also want to mention that they're using that camera technology in the resurrection of Ibo which is a robotic dog that can autonomously find its way around your house. Pre-orders are, are open in Japan only, and this is going to sell for $1,700. I can't believe they're bringing that back. So maybe you can have an autonomous vehicle pick you up and bring your autonomous dog along with you. Uh, whatever. I mean, that is totally goofy. I mean, uh, whatever. I'm, I'm not on board. I'm, I hate you can buy from whatever you want for seventeen hundred bucks, but whatever. You can buy a very expensive real dog for seventeen hundred dollars. I know. I mean, <laughs> what, 
but uh, <laughs> and, get a, and get a lick in the face. You know, it's, <laughs> I don't know. I think I, th- I think the Japanese, when it comes to this, and Toyota's got its own little you know, little versions of, of uh, friends and, and neighbors and sorts of things. I think you know the whole issue of robots is 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 charming. I just don't think at this point I want one driving my car. But I, I wouldn't mind having a robot sitting in the in the passenger seat uh, when I'm driving alone, doing a lot of the, the good things that my wife does when she's sitting in the passenger seat, saying, "Watch out! You know, there's there's a moose crossing the road." The, the one good thing I guess I can say about Ivo is that you don't need to carry around a doggy bag. And that's right. <laughs> that's it for this edition of the Smart Driving Cars podcast. We want to thank Michael Senna for joining us. He's at michaelsenna.com. Find us at smartdrivingcar.com on SoundCloud and look for my tech reports at textination.com. I'm Fred Fishkin along with Alan Kornhauser. Thanks for listening. Let's say you just bought a house. Bad news is you're one step closer to becoming your parents. You'll proudly mow the lawn. Ask if anybody noticed you mowed the lawn. Tell people to stay off the lawn. Compare it to your neighbor's lawn and complain about having to mow the lawn again. Good news is, it's easy to bundle home and auto through Progressive and save on your car insurance, which, of course, will go right into the lawn. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company, affiliates, and other insurers. Discount not available in all stages or situations.